welcome, welcome. Oh my God, who remembers welcome, welcome from the Periscope days? Dating myself. Hey, hey, this is Allison Crow, and this is a road riff. And let me get my, let me get my seatbelt, my earphones connected. Hold on. When I record these in my car, I kind of, I, I, I like to wear my earbuds, and then that means I have to take out my cute earrings, because otherwise they go clank, clank, clank in your ears, and I don't realize it, because honestly, I don't listen to my episodes until I, actually, I don't listen to them. <laughs> Alisa, she's like, what's that noise? All right, today's episode is going to be about, and I'm actually just going to process it here with y'all. <clears throat> Um, let me get a sip of water. It's Sunday morning, 8.23. As I record this, and I'm going to, I'm heading out to my horseback riding lessons. And as I was thinking about that this morning, <laughs> uh, y'all know everything has an analogy, right? Or it's not even an analogy, man. Life just repeats itself in so many patterns, and I see and experience the patterns. I've been told that's an ADD thing and a possibly autistic thing. That's a whole nother episode. I haven't done an episode about ADD, and I know I haven't done an episode about possibly high-masking autism. That's not an official diagnosis yet. Okay, so today's episode, thank you for waiting 140, a minute, 46 seconds. We're going to talk about control or connection. And here's what this has to do with horses. So I, I signed up, I look for a very specific, I look for a very specific kind of horse barn when I decided that I wanted to do horseback lessons. And honestly, I really had wanted to go ride horses, and I wanted my husband to go with me, and he poo-pooed it. Oh, God bless him. Um, And I was talking with my therapist. I was like, I just wanted to have something to do. I wanted to have a hobby that was just mine, that my friends weren't doing, that was something that my heart was interested in and honestly that the little girl in me was interested in because when I was little I used to ride at summer camp I did little kids summer camp barrel racing so not hardcore barrel racing but we did riding at Friday Mountain Camp in the hill country of Texas when I was a little girl for years and then in junior high uh, in seventh and eighth grade my best friend had lived in Seguin, Texas, and or her family lived in Seguin, and they had a ranch, and we would go down there and, like, feral little kids ride horses. And at some point when, I don't know what age I was, my mom remembers, but at some point I was with my family, and we were visiting some family friends in Elgin, Texas, and... Um, there was a there were some dudes out there practicing for a rodeo and they let me ride a horse except for they were leading me on the horse they were like they had the reins and I was able to sit on it and I convinced them to let me to give me the reins that I knew what I was doing and that horse took off and it took me under a couple of tree branches and tried to throw me off it never did get me but all the rodeo dudes came out and um you know, last of the horse. It was this big dramatic thing. And then after that happened, one of the rodeo dudes made sure that I got back up on the horse. You know the metaphor, right? Like he made sure that I safely got back up on the horse. And honestly, even though that happened, I I wasn't, I don't remember being, I mean, I remember being scared, but I don't remember being like, I never want to ride horses again. So all these years later, I'm thinking about what do I want to do for myself? And I had two things I really wanted to do for myself. And one of them is give pottery a go, but honestly, I don't want, you know, pottery creates pots, (laughs) and that's stuff, and I'm in a place where I'm trying to eliminate and not accumulate stuff, and and I have paintings all over my garage from my painting era, like big painting era, which honestly, I would love to do again, but I just... I think that's why I like watercoloring, because I can watercolor on something, and then I put the paper in the recycle. So 
So I started looking for a horse barn. My sister rides therapeutically, and then also she rides recreationally now. And she and her husband lease a horse, and, and so they've been doing this, but they're way on the other side of town. But I did call her to get some advice because I was very particular. Thank you for um, listening to this, like, intro stuff. I was very particular about wanting a facility, a barn, a trainer that got the heart coherence between a horse and a human. I did not want the horses to just be tools that human beings use and abuse. And as I started looking and um, researching, as I often do, silently before I make an obvious decision, I found lots of reviews of places where animals were just exhausted and hit and just not great stuff. And so my, t- my sister told me about this thing called PATH Certified Instructors. And a PATH Certified Instructor is, um, I can't remember what the P is, sorry, but it's therapeutic horse riding, and so they have a certain training. And so I asked her, she asked her trainer, and her trainer said, this is who I would be working with if I lived on that side of town. And the only reason I don't work with her is because I live way too far away. And so they pointed me to this facility that I now go to that in a whole other note is actually closing down. It's a nonprofit. But I have this amazing instructor named Jeremy. And Jeremy is a horsewoman. And she has she is the trainer at this nonprofit. Um, and she's past certified. So she is my riding instructor. She does therapeutic work with veterans. Um, the program I'm in is called Life is Stressful, Ride a Horse. And then they also had a horsemanship class. And so I took the horsemanship. And horsemanship is actually a term. It's not about riding, but it's about understanding the horse, about understanding the composition of horse. Do they walk straight? It's about linking up with horses. It's about getting, you know, learning. I don't know. It's about a lot of things. They're about learning the parts of the horse, like, you know, detailed parts of the horse. It's about learning their personalities. It's a six-week class, and so I took it separate from my riding classes. Okay, so I go into this riding situation, and they they ask, what is your experience riding horses? And, of course, I have this psychological memory, like many of us do, have this psychological memory of being a little girl who rode horses so well. But I told them, I said, listen, I want you to treat me as brand new because I'm essentially brand new. Because I was unmonitored as a child riding horses. I I have time on a horse, but I have no idea. I You know, I was too young. I said, the one thing I don't have is a fear around the horses. I, I'm comfortable in my body, and I'm comfortable around, you know, I'm not intimidated by the size of the horses. Um, I'm very comfortable with them. And so other than that, I don't have, you know, I don't have any anxiety that someone might have being around horses, but everything else, let's go that I'm brand new, which is honestly what I wanted. And I had no clue how different how when I was little, I rode horses from control, and I was trained to ride horses from control. I've spoken about this recently in coaching. Much of the coaching and the coaching industry that I have been a part of and participated in, sorry, has been about control. Marketing has been about control. Um, finding somebody's blind spot and kicking their ass is about control. In my own personal life, managing anxiety and depression and, you know, all these other things are about control. Excuse my throat clearing. It just is what it is, friends. So 
I began to take these lessons, and the first, uh, I don't know how many lessons I've been through now, four, four maybe, of actual horse riding lessons different than the horsemanship. But on about the fourth lesson, I asked my instructor, she's giving me some instructions. I'm warming up with my horse. You know, what I noticed that she's teaching me is, you know, there, so, <laughs> I feel silly telling you all this because I don't, I wish you could see me do it. You know, so let's say you want the horse to go right. You look in the direction you want the horse to go, but you also tilt your head. And then there's also some muscle movements that you do in your body. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give you the specifics. At one point, she was telling me, squeeze your calves, right? Like, squeeze your calves. When you want the horse to go faster, when you want it to trot, you squeeze the calves. And, um, you know, you... Before this, you, you know, you, you, tighten, you tighten everything up and you tell the horse to go. And so it's actually not done. You know, you don't kick the horse with your spurs on the belly. You squeeze your calves. And so I go through, you know, a couple of lessons of this. And then the last time I was like, Journey, let me ask you a question. So this is also new for me because in the past, the good little unmasked girl or the good little masked girl would just never ask the question if, she, if something didn't make sense. I would just say, well, I must be doing it wrong. That's key. That's huge. That's not necessarily huge in this episode, but this is fucking huge in life, is that someone would give me an instruction and I would make an attempt at it and be frustrated because it wasn't working and I wouldn't seek clarification or modification. I would just assume something was wrong with me. So I'm I'm beginning so the thing I did right and I both feel I, I don't know, I have a big smile on my face, that's all I know to say, is that I told them I want to you know, my goals for taking this class are a couple things. I just want to be with the horses. I know that it does something with my body. I've done a lot. I've taken my clients to do equus work with equus coaches. Equus coaches are coaches that work with horses, with your clients. And I said, I, I also have a dream of barrel racing, um, not necessarily competitively, but like recreational barrel racing. And I feel so silly. Like, I almost want to cry. I want to cry because I want to give myself permission to have that dream without, like, it being super drive, drive, drive. It's, it's kind of a, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be fun if I were getting in my truck with a trailer and going to do some barrel racing thing? And listen, I don't, I don't know what I don't know about the barrel racing and horses horsing community, okay? I'm just, I'm going off my childhood joy and trying to recapture some of those. My God, I'm going to cry. And so last weekend, I noticed, actually the last few weekends, um, I've gotten some fundamentals down in both horsemanship and riding. And I noticed that she doesn't say anything about barrel racing, but after I've learned to trot or canter, I don't know that we fall on canter, but after I've learned to kind of speed up and trot a little bit, I noticed that Jeremy gives me instructions that are very loosely, very loosely without barrels in the direction of, you know, of, of the pattern of barrel racing. And I'm supposed to do it at this higher speed, which for me is still very slow. And so I go the first time, and then I, when I'm done, I stop the horse. And it's so funny because the way you stop the horse is you release your butt cheek muscles and you breathe out. And you say, whoa. You don't pull on, you don't have to pull on the rein, which is hilarious because if you've ever seen any time around me personally, I move breath through my body out loud often all the time. My husband used to ask, like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just moving energy, right? So when I feel myself tension, I will take intentional breaths out loud. And, you know, it just sounds like I'm making weird breath noises. Well, when you do that on a horse, it actually stops 
So I'm having to be intentional about that. So I go this little loop. I'm doing my best to squeeze my calves. And when I stop, I asked, I said, let me ask you a question, Journey. You said, squeeze your calves. And I said, I just don't have, I'm either doing it wrong or I don't have enough, you know, I don't have enough muscle tone, you know, I don't have enough physical tone ability to squeeze my calves. And Journey comes up and puts her hand behind my calves and says, squeeze your calves. So I squeeze my calves because that's fine. And I was like, well, why isn't it working on the horse? Well, I was trying to keep my calves as they're around the horse. I was trying to keep them squeezed. Like I was maintaining the tension. And bless her sweetheart, she was not humiliating at all. She's so patient, so compassionate. And she's just so damn experienced. She does not, at least outwardly, get ruffled by any of my whatever it is I have. And she's like, no, you just have to squeeze it once. <laughs> like, I, I don't have to hold that pose. I just give, it's like giving a command. She didn't use that. I was like, oh, so the, so the squeezing of the calves is not the position I hold in my body. It's just the command. It's the connection command I give the horse. She said, yes. And so then I did it again. <clears throat> and it worked. And it required so much less energy. And I know I'm crying. I just say I'm tender and sensitive all the time. I'm sure it's... Just look at me. I'm wanting to brain blame it on hormones. Part of it is hormones and part of it just is being human. And, and regulating. I, you know, crying is actually self-regulating. Hello. But no one taught us that. We thought we were taught to be ashamed of it. And it worked. And, of course, that was the very end of my lesson. And so I'm so excited today to go. Now, here's the other thing. And this is why I told you about the horsemanship classes. There's a lot of things. So, like, when, when I'm – I can't even remember what it is. So, Jeremy is giving instruction. And – I'm hearing it in my head and trying to understand, but I'm also very aware that because I am so new, it doesn't come naturally. Okay, this is key, y'all. When we are at 51 years old, willing to be a beginner at something and willing to participate in something that we are not, you know, we are not good at, Simply because, it's not because we're not talented, it's not because we're, it is simply because we do not have time on task. And of course, I had this fantasy that I was like, I'm going to be a natural at this. I ain't no fucking natural. This is hard. I probably could be a, quote, natural with control. But being connected to myself, being connected in my body and being connected to the horse and then also cognitively learning the I don't, I don't, the skills, the behaviors that I've never learned before. And so one of them, it is, it is so funny to me whenever she says that there's a certain, I can't even remember what it is and it's in horsemanship, and there's a certain way that you turn your horse around, like instead of turning it around from the front leg, there's a certain thing that you can do to ask it to move with its back leg. And it's very subtle, and you do it with some hand language, and you do it with the tilt of your head. And y'all, I'm humbled, and I cannot tilt my head to the right or left, especially with a helmet on. Like, I don't you would think, oh, yeah, just tilt your head. Like, as I'm sitting here driving, I can tilt my head. But why, when I'm standing in this dirt-covered arena with just me and this horse and Jeremy, and she says this, do I feel so fucked up? I'm like, that, that's the most awkward move in the world. <sighs> and a part of that I am aware because... I 
used my brain entirely too much. But if I didn't use my brain, I wouldn't understand why these things happen. Is because I'm taking in new cognitive information, and it hasn't landed in my body yet. And that is a new skill for me, relatively. In the, in the relative terms of the amount of time I have been alive, only in the last seven to eight years have I been practicing allowing things to be embodied instead of just in my head. So we finished up our, um, last Wednesday, just a few days ago, we finished up our horsemanship class. I have, there's one other person that participated in it. And Jeremy asked me when we're done, she said, what do you think you did well? And I said, well, I think I, I, I think I did really well of, you know, noticing whether I was in my body or not and then getting back to it. And I think I did really well. This is a, a new skill for me, and I told her about that. You know, when you say something and I don't understand and you're giving me an instruction, if I don't completely comprehend what you're asking of me, I actually open my mouth and and ask for clarification without shame. And I, I didn't try to do that, y'all. I just did it for the first time ever. Like I didn't go, I think I'm gonna ask. I just I just had this realization. I guess I've done some heart work. Those parts are, are just relaxed. They're the the masking parts, the parts of me that said I had to behave a certain way are all sitting out by my pool relaxing. So they're just not there. I didn't have to consciously think I need to ask. And so, you know, I said, I said, this is a new skill for me. I know you don't know me, but in the past, I would have just been frustrated and internalized my wrongness. And I said, I think I did that really good. And I said, let me think about for a second if there's something directly related to the horse and the horsemanship that I did really good. And then she asked my colleague in the class who has her own horse, who rides her own horse, who I'm surprised was in the horsemanship class, um, but I guess she'd never taken one. And she asked her, what do you think you did good? And that woman turned around and said, well, I don't know. What do you think I did good? And Jeremy gave her feedback. And I stood there listening, going, well, I, like the little girl in me was going, well, I, I want to hear what I did. What does Jeremy think I did good? And instead of wondering and just waiting for feedback, when when my friend's turn was done, I said, well, Jeremy, before we complete, is there anything you saw I did good? And she said, you're very self-aware and very good at recognizing where you are, mental, physical, emotional, in your body or out of your body. Um, and she said one other thing. I can't remember what it was right now, but same kind of thing. It was, it was stuff that I'm aware about me. And so honestly, you all, there's nothing about the horses that I was actually good at. And it was, she didn't say you're bad at this. And I, even in this moment, I have a part that says you suck. Why are we doing this? This is stupid. Give up. And I have a calmer, soothing voice that first drops me into my body. There's no words with it, but it's just like, I'm here for you. I, I get why you think that. And, and then there does come a little verbal soothing that says, sweetheart, you're new. I just want to remind you, these are new skills. You're not supposed to be good yet. You're expecting something so different. And... One of the things that Jeremy told me in my private lesson session, private lesson sounds so prestigious, like so royalty or something, and I don't know. Anyway, um, 
you know, at one point, I was when I was able to get on the calendar for my, I bought a three-pack to make sure I wanted to do it, and I liked the barn, and then after that, I bought a five-pack. So I'm in the middle of this five-pack of lessons. And the only thing they had on the schedule was every other Sunday. And so I was only going every two weeks. And at one point, you know, I was like, oh, I come back here. And it's like when you wait two weeks to practice a new skill, it's almost like you're completely starting over. And she said, that, you know, she said when you do something every day, if you were able to come out here every single day and ride, you would pick this up a lot quicker. And that was a big insight. Right? Like, and I've, I've spoken with my clients ad nauseum about the boredom of time on task. Time on task, time on task, time on task. Time on task gives us the experience of moving from controlling a situation to connecting and moving through. It it takes us from trying to do something to becoming one with doing something. And we live in such a control, quick results, impatient, disconnected society. And we have been taught systemically to disconnect with ourselves and others. And and when we are disconnected with ourselves, when we are disconnected from our mind, body, heart, when we are... When we are disconnected, and then we can be manipulated. We can be controlled. And we can exhaust ourselves trying to get the thing that we want to do, be or feel, etc. And there is great power... And I'm not talking like power over, but there is great personal power in experiencing and and being skilled at. And when I say connection, the word is not enough to the language does not translate so to the experience of true present connection. And so we do this in IFS all the time. And and this is really powerful. And this is actually something that when I work with clients and they are new to parts work, my clients are really smart people. They are strategic. They are cognitive. They are, um, you know, genius in their heads, high achievers, over-functioners, people pleasers. They are really good at doing, 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 doing things. And even those of us who study being, we have a long way to go in the, you know, we can get the intellectual concept of being, but the real the real uh, I, I don't have a, there's not a word for it the real experiential being and and being is not just how you sit on a meditation pillow it's a way that you move connected self connected through the world there's an, an awareness and a groundedness without driving it's very different from the hyper vigilant awareness right like I definitely move through the world with hyper vigilant awareness but when we're in a state of connected, self-connected, there's just so much more room for flow. Okay, let me gather my thoughts. Uh, I also need to just check in on the road where I am. I haven't been using my GPS to wind through these hill country roads. Sometimes I just drove past Balcones, Balcones Canyonlands Park, a national park in the hill country here. When I say park, I don't mean seesaws and swings. I mean, it's just like a reserve. And the Texas hill country is 
so ugly and beautiful in the same way. We, just, we don't have tall trees. So these rolling, if you are not from Central Texas and you get a chance, just to, to see. I've tried to take pictures, but it just doesn't do it justice. But if you Google search images of Texas Hill Country um, and just see some of these rolling hills, it's, it's not as profound as the Smoky Mountains because our, our trees just aren't bigger. But there, there is a certain there's a beauty to it to me because I I actually do feel connected to this earth, this land. Okay, let's get back to control versus connection. So, um, I had an experience with a client the other day who is, I have permission to share, I have a client who is a very experienced master meditator, like has grown up their whole life meditating. Family meditated, parents meditated, their family now meditates, the person meditates, like one of these people that is able to meditate for like two hours sit in stillness and awareness. I have officially spilled my water bottle in my garage, so I'm going to show up and Jeremy's going to take a pee in my pants. Um, and we were working through something on a coaching session. And my clients, this is something my clients are so good at. I'm good at, too. We're very good at awareness and observation. We're very good at seeing and analyzing what's going on. This is a cognitive skill, y'all. <laughs> okay, this is not a body skill. It's a cognitive skill. So, at one point, he... At, I, I can't remember the emotion... Because the other experience, so he had an emotion. Let's say the emotion was shame. And he spoke back to me and said, I'm aware. Well, we're kind of in a silent place. And I see him like he's, you know, I can just see that he's processing and I'm just waiting. And then all of a sudden he shakes his head and he gnashes his teeth. And he said, I became aware of this part of me that was shame. And I'm aware of it. And I detached from it. And he, he grinded his teeth like he said it was like wrapped around his neck. And through awareness, he was able to detach from it, right? And y'all know if you've ever been in the meditation world, and listen, I'm not making this wrong, but we've got some nuances. We've, we've got to make some adjustments. If you're wondering why you're meditating or you're mindfully aware, I think it's so interesting, mindful, where's the, where's the body in mindfulness? Where's our humanness and mindfulness? Hello, hello. We've got to combine the two. And so he said, I became aware and I detached from it. And in coaching and in mindfulness and in spirituality, we are so taught to, listen to this word, detach, which really means not take it on personally, right? We, we personalize things. So we're taught to don't believe the stories you tell, right? We're told to control it through mindset, through not believing or thinking, or through spiritual detachment. I have moving through the world unattached. Okay, I'm over it. So I had this experience, and he said, it's like a cord, and I detached from it. And he had kind of aggression thing in the teeth bite. And I said, where is the cord now? And he said, it's on the ground in front of me. And I said, what color is it? And he said, it's pink. And I said, so what I'd like you to do, if you're willing, is to activate the love in your heart. And I, I gave him a second to do that, right? Like, you know, I said, I, I know you have access to compassion and love and connection. So now that you have detached from it, activate the love. He said, okay. And I could tell from his uh, countenance and his body language that he was genuinely there. And I said, I, in your mind's eye, I want you to gently bend down and I want you to pick up this cord of this emotion chain that's peak and I want you to hold it gingerly tenderly in your hand and just connect to be present 
important. And this, my friends, is the difference between control and connection. And we're doing like my client did. We are feeling control because we've been taught to control things that we cannot control. And so the only thing we need to know to do is disconnect from it. And that doesn't create lasting change. It creates temporary It creates temporary separation. But what happens when we pick up that thing and we be present with it? Hello, shame. I'm here for you. Hello, parts that I have demonized up until now. I'm just going to breathe, and I call it be the be with skills. And listen, there's work to do after being with, but we have to create the connection first. When I very first started, the very first day, and we one of the things we do every session, horsemanship or lessons, is. Sorry, there were a couple of dead. This is so Texas. There were a couple of dead wild hogs in the road and a bunch of buzzards. So one of the things we do is we groom the horses, and that's a very somatic experience, and it's very very nervous system regulating. And we kind of, as we're grooming, it's a a great place to just let everything go and, and get in attunement with your own heart and with the horse's heart, et cetera. And then after that, you know, we begin to learn the equipment. And so the very first day she sent me in, she, you know, my horse's name is Annie, and she said, you can go in, and Annie has a, you know, she has a little thing with her name on it, and her halter is on that. And so I go, and I'm, like, looking for a halter, but I don't see a bit, what's called a bit. And in horses, when I was little growing up, and I rode Western. My sister rides English, but I ride Western on purpose. And what we had, you know, the halter is a thing that goes over the face, but there is a metal bit that goes in the mouth. Think about this for a second. There's a metal bit that goes in the mouth, and the reins, right, your, quote, steering mechanism is attached to that metal bit in the mouth. And so when I was growing up, such a metaphor. When I was growing up, the way you controlled the horse was by kicking its belly to go, and you steered with the reins that were attached to the metal bit in their mouth. So you controlled the direction of the horse. You did not create a relationship and a connected communication style with the horse. You just controlled it. And I (laughs) asked Jeremy, and she was like, yeah, we don't need that. We don't need a bit. And and so, now listen, in an emergency, I'm I'm not riding, I'm not free-balling with the horse. I'm not. You know, there are reins, and if I need those reins, but those reins are a last resort. Those reins are, those reins, the control mechanism is a last safety resort. There are so many options of connection and subtle movements with our bodies and um, a little bit of gentle verbal communication. You know, I don't have to yell at the horse. Uh, I, I, and listen, I've worked with a couple different horses, right? And, and this, this barn, you know, Jeremy has two or three horses here, but they're all different kinds of horses here. There's a lot of retired, um, giant, beautiful horses, a lot of retired I don't know, jumping horses or something. I don't, I don't know. I don't know all the horsemanship stuff. I basically got a D in the class. I mean, we didn't get great, but I sucked at it. Anyways, <sighs> control. And and I noticed this honestly. I've been having some arguments with my husband lately. And um, when I get listen, I, y'all, I do all this work. And the reality is, I do this work, I'm going to cry again. 
I'm so into personal development because of the things in my life I cannot control. And because of the effects of internalized trauma over 50 years are surfacing in, in my life. And, and frankly, have been surfacing. I mean, we didn't know what we didn't know 20 years ago, but now we know. And I, we watched a movie last night about a woman who, I think it was called For Louise or To Louise. And it's a <clears throat> story about, written by this man, loosely based on his mother who was an alcoholic but won the lottery. And it's a really sad story. And, you know, she's addicted to alcohol. And Gabor Mate says that the opposite of addiction is connection. And I have a lot of alcoholism in my family. I have a lot of isms. And frankly, whether it's a disease, it's unhappy, you know, that, 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 it doesn't matter if it's a disease or not to me right now, but I can't, whether it's a disease or not, the healing is through connection. It's not through just the control of abstinence. And for most of my personal development career, listen, my career in personal development has been 20 years. My interest in personal development began in high school, and then after college, I started, I found personal development books in the bookstore, and actually before that, I think I had personal, like Christian personal development books that I was into, but they were more, so, but I realized this was the tool that I used to try to control the pain in my life for so many years. And I have really outdated and unuseful muscle memory to deal with pain. And like my clients, the coping mechanisms we use to deal with pain are socially fucking acceptable. And I look at Louise, and everybody in Louise's life, this woman who's addicted, knows, they know that Louise is addicted to alcohol, and that is a problem. And everybody's looking at the alcohol, and nobody's seeing that the alcohol is a coping device for pain, and nobody's treating the pain. Nobody is connecting with the pain. And maybe it's because we didn't know. Maybe it's because we were taught to put the bit in the mouth and pull the fucking reins of that pain. And every once in a while, someone in my life, whether they're close to me or far away, just looks at me and like, this person grows up your hand is just weird. You're so weak. You think too much. You're in it. And any of y'all who, A, already struggle with mental health, many of you know that I struggle with depression and anxiety for most of my life, and then I got treated for ADD, and the de- depression definitely went away. And anxiety, we're working on it, <laughs> but it's definitely a lot better. Interesting. And recently on a, a, a podcast, I think, called Thrive, and then also in person, I went to go see Elizabeth Gilbert talk for three days in upstate New York, Hudson Valley, and she mentioned this exact same phrase there, too. And when I first heard it on this podcast, I was kind of taken aback because I didn't want to associate it, but I realized it was true. She said, every day I wake up mentally ill. And listen, she's in some 12-step programs now, too. I think 12-step programs can be really helpful, but there's some things about them that don't align for me personally. Um, My experience with 12-step programs, and I have family members that have been active members for years and years and years, 
structures. There's a lot of elements of the things I used to be a part of, of like control. You know, they say surrender, but even to make yourself surrender, <laughs> to make yourself every single day admit that we are powerless is a control thing. <laughs> it's not a connection thing. To me, this is just me, my interpretation. If yours is different, that's fan-fucking-tastic. But Liz Gilbert said, every single day I wake up mentally ill, and I spend the first three hours of my day, and I don't remember what words she used, but my translation into my own life is nurturing habits or nurturing practices. I do these things for the first three hours of my day. I spend my quiet time. I get in nature. I move my body. I, you know, I drink my vitamins, I do my parts work, and I I don't remember all the things that Liz Gilbert says were hers. And um, I'm going to make an out loud verbal note for Elise, my podcast producer. Elise, could you search for the podcast is called Thrive, and there's an episode within the last couple of months with Liz Gilbert on it. And if you could link that podcast in the show notes, that would be great for my people so they can actually hear Liz talk about it. I think it's also interesting that the guy that opened, I think it's Thrive Market, said in the first few years of opening this business, he was not fucking thriving. (laughs) Or, y'all, in the personal wellness field and in the mental health field and in the personal development field, we're still sick. We're still hurting because we haven't learned the skills of connection. I haven't learned this. I have learned, and I am learning and I'm committed to learning and teaching the skills of connection without dismissing the cognitive stuff. I think there's, I have some some methods, and I have my own personal way of honoring your thinking parts and your observing parts and your need to understand. But Liz Gilbert talks about these things that she has to do every single day, and if she doesn't do these things, these practices, she succumbs to her mental illness. And at first I was like, yeah, I get that, but mine's not mental illness. And I I don't know, I can't remember what her definition of mental illness is. But I would say the same thing is the opposite of addiction, the opposite of mental illness, the opposite of um, forgetting who we are. You know, for years I've been saying remember who you are. And I have said... Right? I have said, my, those, of, those of you who have worked with me, and if you were ever in Solis, you've heard me say, or maybe you've seen it on my social feeds, I have said, we wake up every day forgetting. And our job is to do the things that help us remember. And here's Liz Gilbert talking about it, but she's talking about it in a much, like, hit you in the face. This is not just a feel-good thing. She's, like, willing to admit every single day I wake up co-fucking-dependent. And if I am not intentional, right? So she's also saying every day I wake up forgetting. And Allison Crow says, if I am not intentional and in doing my practices that help me remember, that help me be self, capital S-E-L-F, as in my sacred self, the highest, wisest version of me that is available for all of my parts, if I do not intentionally cultivate that remembering, then I succumb to my pain, my mental illness, the effects of trauma. And listen, I don't think any of us, I know I know everybody thinks trauma is a buzzword. Trauma ain't a buzzword, y'all. We all fucking got it. And if nothing happened to you, like, quote, happened to you, life happened to you, you live in the system. If you live in America, especially, I can't speak for other countries, I'm sure they have their own systems of capitalism and patriarchy. There, There is the trauma. If I chop off your arm or you're in a motorcycle accident, that is a traumatic injury. But trauma can also happen systemically over time. And for many of us, we don't have, I used to always say, I don't necessarily, I don't have the kind of trauma that's in an after-school special. Right, when I was little, I saw after-school specials. 
And, and actually, I do have some of that. I, I had disassociated from it. But many of us have internalized ideas and systemic pressure inside that have been extremely harmful and hurtful and disconnecting and disempowering. And so like Liz Gilbert, honestly, I was telling my husband, I said, I wake up every single day and, I, you know, I wish I could just relax. Because sometimes he's like, man, you just try too hard. I wrote about this in my book. And I said, you're right, I do try too hard because I have to. I don't know the luxury. I don't, I don't try too hard because I don't feel worthy. I don't, I can see in the past where I probably tried too hard to be connected. But now that I've deconstructed some of that and have a, 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 um, a, a mass, it's not necessarily whole, but I have a mass, I have a running start, running is not the right word, uh, I, I know exactly what word, but I can't recall the word, I have a, um, you know, I have enough momentum of not just self-awareness, but true self-connection and a, the ability to meet all parts of me with this connected presence and love without needing to fix it or change it. I'm, I'm not perfect at it at all. I, I, have, I have a lot of parts that want me to be a master at it, and, and I'm just simply not yet. But I, I have the fundamental tools and like riding that horse, oh, this is what it feels like. And that didn't happen on the first lesson. And so I know that through time on task, I build, you know, my coach and I were talking this week about compound interest, not just compound interest, but when you take time on task, so right, my, my client has time on task with meditation and and. Um, and detachment. And now the work that we're doing is actually, once you disconnect in that unhealthy way, don't leave that piece sitting on the ground struggling. That piece was torturing you because it needed your attention. And once you give it your soft, connected attention, something shifts. And that practice is new to them. They're not a master at it. And if, if you want the effects, you have to be willing to put the time on task to build the compound interest. So we've all been taught, and I, I mean, y'all, I could, I could talk for the next two hours on the extrapolation of this metaphor of control or connection. And so I'll leave you with these questions that I'm, I'm asking myself. Where am I trying to white-knuckle and trying to control? And where am I willing to see that I don't have control, but I can have connection? And some days you're easier than others. I told my sister yesterday... I had, I just had one of the worst mornings I've had in 10 years. It was a little scary. And at, at one point, I, I thought, I'll just lay in bed all day. But laying in bed got a little dark. And I had to connect with, in a very, not mean, aggressive, but like, come on, Allison. If you lay in this bed, you will forget, and and you will forget, and you will slide into hopelessness. And you know this this phrase we use: "I made myself get out of bed." That that could not have been absolutely more true. It, it is not the same for me yesterday. Today was a different day, but yesterday I made myself get out of bed. I made myself put on my walking shoes that have my orthotics and my back would be supported. 
I made myself take the dog for a walk. I made myself stretch my hips. I made myself take my medicines and my vitamins at the appropriate time. I made myself get dressed. I made myself put makeup on. I made myself have green juice. I made myself put calming music in my ears. I made myself listen and watch something on YouTube that I knew would help me regulate my nervous system. It was actually informational, right? So it's funny, it's like not all this sense, but I was watching something, and, and as I was watching it, I did, my system likes to have information sometimes. Information helps my body, like, oh, and I remember going, oh, that makes sense, and feeling my body drop in. It wasn't just an intellectual sense. My body opened up to the reality of it. And by midday, I was okay. But yesterday was one of those mornings that I imagine Liz Gilbert talked about. I wake up every day mentally ill, and I have to make myself do these things. And it's not a punishment. It is... I think we've all had an experience where, like, oh, if I eat this food, I have a reaction to it, right? And so there's there's an element of awareness and implementation and an, an intentional control, not an effortful control, right, of self-discipline. I don't want to have more days like I had yesterday. I don't want you to have more days like that. And I also don't want us to surrender in a different direction like Louise, right? And I don't think that you and I listening are going to end up like we're, we're not going to be drinking five-fifths of vodka one right after the other. I don't know. I mean, I guess it could happen to anybody. But it's we're, we're trying to control the pain instead of learning the skills to connect with pain. And when I say learning with skills, I am in no way trying to dominionize your intelligence. This is one of those things that we didn't know until we didn't know. And the psychologists and the, the degree people and the institution of psychology and mental health and even medical health did not know now we do. Some of us do. That there are skills of being with and connection that are way more helpful, is the right word, truly helpful than control. I'm about to ride to my horse place. Thank you for listening. If you made it this far, do me a favor. Would you would you please drop me an email at alleycrow at gmail.com or comment on one of the podcast posts on my Instagram. It's probably where I most, you know, where I remember to post it the most. Somehow let me know you're listening. I need, I need not from a needy place, but I would like to know you're listening. Um. I, this, this podcast is like seven years old, and I, my stats show me that like 89 people a day listen to this podcast, and I have no idea who you are, and I'm considering, I'm considering starting a fresh feed, but I don't want to lose those of you who really care about this podcast, and I'm considering releasing a whole bunch of the old episodes that I no longer feel relevant and moving the wild edge of being human to a brand new podcast feed because my a podcast, for those of you that don't know, a podcast feed is made up of the, da- the computer data that delivers this to, right, it's, it's the stuff behind the scenes, but because I've changed the name, Imagine a house that you walk into, and the house has different carpet or different flooring in every single room. So there's two different kinds of wood, and there's three different kinds of carpet, right? Like, I guess that sometimes that's reality in that. Right now, that's the reality of my podcast, and there's certain things that I want to do with my podcast that because that feed is kind of janky at this point, 
it may be better for me to um, create a fresh feed with both episodes that I'm proud of and that are congruent with this time in my life and this leadership and this conversation I want to have. And I haven't, I haven't made the decision yet. I will let you know both on the podcast and in my email list if I need you to change addresses, right? So let me know if you listen. Just let me know if you listen. Let me know if this podcast helps you, if it matters to you. Just let me know. 